Bibles tonight to Proverbs chapter 21. Proverbs chapter number 21. We got down through verse 11 last week. And uh, so we begin in verse 12 tonight. But because verse 11 is uh, connected with verse 12, I... I want to go back and read that and just briefly comment on where we left off last week. Proverbs 21, verse number 11. When the scorner is punished, the simple is made wise. And when the wise is instructed, he receiveth knowledge. Last week I quoted Charles Bridges who said the stroke of his rod, no stroke of his rod is without effect. The blow that strikes one reaches two. The scorner for his punishment and the simple for his improvement. And the whole idea here is that um, when people see people being punished as a result of their wrongdoing, they they learn from that, or at least they should. Uh, you know, that's, uh, that's the sad thing today. A lot of people never learn their lesson. And, uh, and another sad thing today is that we see that in many, many cases people are not uh, held accountable for their actions, and it appears that they are getting by with their transgression when in reality they're not, but it sends a signal that, hey, you can do it and get by with it. It's amazing to me that uh, uh, that a lot of uh, kids, when I say kids, I'm talking about especially teens, early teens and what have you, uh, the street-wise kids know exactly how far they can push things. They know what they can get by with, what they can't get by with and so forth, and they they play the system uh, and uh, thinking that, you know, that if I can get off the hook, why I'll, I'll be all right. But sin always catches up with you. And the smart thing to do is found in the last part of this verse. Notice where he says, and when the wise is instructed, he receiveth knowledge. In other words, if we're smart, we will learn our lesson from the instruction that we receive. We, you know, the smart kid doesn't need a spanking uh, in order to correct his wrongdoing. You know, it's enough for mom or dad to, you know, just set him down and say, now, you know, look, son, I, I love you and what you're doing is uh, not only wrong, but it, it, it's going to end up causing you to get hurt. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know that any kid, you know, ever really listens to everything like they should, but just think what it would be like if some kid, some miracle kid came along and said, you know, Mom and Dad, I, you know, I, I'm five years old today and I realize I don't know anything. I really need you to give me guidance and I'm going to listen to every word you say. You know, wow, <laughs> what heartache they could avoid. Well, we know that's not going to happen, but it makes a point that we're a whole lot better off to learn as a result of instruction received rather than punishment sent. And uh, uh, believe me, there's a lot of people in prison today that wish they had listened to the advice of their mother or preacher or Sunday school teacher. Verse 12, the righteous man, 
wisely considereth the house of the wicked, but God overthroweth the wicked for their wickedness. Now, that's a continuation of what he's been talking about in the last verse, and has to do here, learning from observation. The righteous man, notice, he considers the house of the wicked. He learns from the faith of the wicked. Now, the advertising companies don't want you to see this. That's why if you see a beer commercial, you know that it's... Uh, uh, it's set in, you know, good, beautiful surroundings. It might be an island scene or uh, in the Rocky Mountains or, or whatever. And they want to leave the impression that, wow, it doesn't get any better than this, you know. Cold beer on a hot day and you're sitting out there under a shade tree just really enjoying life. But the problem with that is their line. It does get a lot better than that. It'd be a whole lot better if you never never took the first drink of that stuff. And if you don't believe me, just ask the families of those that, uh, you know, the who, a family of a drunkard. And, and, and the, you think about the heartache that they, that they go through. And, uh, of course, that's not the only sin we ought to be concerned about. The same thing's true in regards to a lot of sins that are advertised as being fulfilling and good and fun and so forth. And, uh, and uh, in, in the end, uh, it's not true. Uh, we think about movies. Uh, you, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's just me, but it seemed like... The, the Christians' attitudes nowadays have changed toward movies. I, I, I can remember back when that, and I, and I, I'll guarantee you, looking back at some of the churches I pastored, we didn't have one member of the church that went to any kind of a movie in a movie theater. Zero, zilch. Brother Carl's old enough to know that that used to be that way in most churches. Uh, you, you just didn't go there, and somebody says, "Oh yeah, but you know." Uh, you know, the, the, you ought to be able to go there for the good ones and you know, trying to weed out the good from the bad. And uh, the whole thing is what has happened over the years, it seems like, is that we've left the impression, well, you know, we're, we'll go there and watch a movie that's not really a bad movie or anything. But, but the kids pick up on that. And so after a while, they're going and they're watching everything. And the whole thing is... You know, movies, for example, they depict uh, sex outside of marriage as being normal or at least without any serious consequences and and, and so forth. I, I remember reading something a few years ago where uh, where some, some movie star was talking about and said, actually, affairs are really good for marriages. You know, it's, yeah, that, 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 that's what they really believed, evidently. That, you know, because it just made your marriage stronger after somebody had an affair, you know, and then they tried to make their marriage all that they could be. Well, let me tell you, nobody sins successfully. And it's not a matter of whether it is acceptable in society or not. It's not a matter even whether you are offended by it or not. You know, people say, well, you know, it, it doesn't offend me or anything. Well, that, that's not the point. It's, you don't make the rules. You don't make the laws. God does. And there's still such a thing as morality, and God is the author of the laws regarding morality, and whether it's at the movie, whether it's the TV at home, whether it's what you read in a magazine or whatever it is, on the Internet, uh, wherever, 
uh, we ought to avoid immodesty every way that we can. Now, notice in the last part of this verse here, he says, God overthroweth the wicked for his wickedness. And that's why I just got through saying nobody sins successfully. And he's telling us here that God's going to overthrow the wicked. The question is, do you believe him? Do you, do you believe that? We should. I mean, you know, because I don't think anybody's got any evidence to prove that God has ever lied, right? If we can't prove that God is light, if we know that He's telling us the truth, and He says, I'm going to overthrow the wicked for their wickedness, and you can mark it down, it's going to happen. And I don't know about you, but man, I, I'll tell you, I, I don't want to be on the losing end of that fight. You know, growing up, you'll learn after a while who to mess with and who not to mess with. I mean, you know, there's always a kid or two at school, and you know, you don't mess with that dude. You better leave him alone, and uh, you you might go around pretending you're the toughest guy in school, but but you know you don't mess with that guy. Well, let me tell you, you better not mess with God. And whenever God says something like this, that he's going to overthrow the wicked for their wickedness, you mark it down, it's going to happen, and you go through the Bible, for example, and you find one example after another after another of those that sinned against God, and then they were judged as a result of it. So let us learn from the instruction of God's Word rather than getting hurt by experiencing sin. That, this, that old nonsense of, well, I've got to experience it for myself. Believe me, that's highly overrated. You don't need to experience what it's like. You just need to avoid it knowing what God said about it. Now, verse 13, Whoso stoppeth his ears at the cry of the poor... He shall cry himself, but shall not be heard. So here we have a verse that has to do with considering the needs of others, and certainly no Christian should ever fail to do that. I, there are numerous verses in, in the New Testament related to this subject. Let me, let me just turn over to James, because this is the one that leaps out at me in James chapter 2, and I could read several others, but this makes the point just about as well as it could possibly be made of the seriousness of this matter of us uh, coming to the aid of those in need. Verse number 14 says, What did it profit, my brethren, though a man say that he hath faith and, and have not works? Can faith save him? And if a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto him, Depart in peace, be ye uh, warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? And it's no, it's no benefit for us to say, well, you know, well, I, I just, I, just I, I hate it so much to see the terrible condition that you're in. I know that you're hungry. I know that, you know, this and that and what have you. Uh, th th they need help, not our sympathy. And certainly we ought to be sympathetic. In fact, we ought to have empathy for them. We need to put ourselves in their place and consider the situation that they're in. John is uses even stronger language, and he tells us, you know, basically, how dare we say, you know, that we know God and that we love God whenever we refuse to respond 
to a brother or a sister who is in need. When we see them in need, we ought to to respond to that. Now, the thing about it is, he says, if we if we don't if we don't hear the cry of those that are destitute, if we don't reach out and in some way be there to help those, he said the time's going to come when we will cry and nobody will be there to help us in our time of need. That, that, by the way, that's a bad place to be, isn't it? When you're between a rock and a hard place and there's nobody there to help you out, there's nobody there to respond to your cry, no one there to give you a helping hand, and it all goes back to what we talk about so many times, and that is the law of sowing and reaping. The best way to make sure that your needs are supplied is to supply the needs of others, to help other people. And uh, certainly we as Christians, and we think about our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we think about our own family and, and what have you, uh, we need to be there one for another. Now, we can't meet the needs of every single person. We all realize that. And that's why we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and, and, you know, in discovering the will of God and what we're to do. But we're certainly to do something the best that we can to help those that are in need. Because sooner or later, believe me, sooner or later, uh, the shoe's going to be on the other foot and you're going to be in need. You might have plenty of money now, be in good health now, everything's going your way. Let me tell you, uh, before you die, you can end up in a nursing home somewhere. Over the years, uh, this good friend of mine that died just the other day, and uh, he had a jail and a prison ministry, but his main ministry, I think the most effective ministry he had was probably... Uh, the nursing home ministry. He and I, uh, whenever I went there as pastor many, many years ago, and uh, we went out and held services out there, and uh, his son called me the other day, and he was telling me that his dad, that here in the last year or so, has been basically confined to a wheelchair, and still when someone when someone died at the nursing home or was critically ill, and they said, we'll call the preacher. And they all knew exactly who they meant. And so they, they called call Buddy. And Buddy, you know, somebody loaded him up and took him down there in this wheelchair so he could go minister to those families. Uh, and let me tell you, it can happen to anyone to where we are there in a situation and uh, in need. And uh, we, we better make sure that we've done our best to help others if we expect somebody to be there to help us when our need arises. Verse 14, a gift in secret. A gift in secret. Don't jump to conclusions now. Uh, that can be good or bad. A gift in secret pacifieth anger and a reward in the bosom strong wrath. You know, it's really amazing uh, how the attitude of people can change as a result of a gift. And, and you know, there, there are those Bible scholars who believe that this, you know, relates here to the benefit of giving gifts. And, uh, you know, it's, it's true. A gift a lot of times can, uh, can uh, conquer someone's anger. Uh, I look back and I've told the story about, in fact, it was in that same town where 
the preacher friend recently died and the, the church that I pastored there and this one certain woman got so bent out of shape and she's the one that said, you know, I, the last pastor I prayed for died and I'm praying that this one will, this one will, uh, uh, that God will get rid of this one, something to that effect. She didn't like me at all. Well, me and one of the guys had gone deer hunting, got some deer meat and so anyway, I, I, some, somebody had commented or I'd heard them over, overheard them talking about how much they loved deer meat. So I took up some deer meat and, and, and all, all of a sudden there was a total 180 turn in her attitude toward me as all, all of a sudden I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread and all, all I did is give her a hunk of dead deer, you know, that's a, uh, so. But but it's amazing whenever you do something to express concern about people uh, and uh, the giving of gifts is, is a great thing. But I think this more likely refers here to a bribes, what I think. And notice the fact that he mentions it's given in secret. It's given in secret and it pacifieth anger. Now, remember, a gift... Uh, in and of itself is neither good or bad. It, it, it can be either one. It's the motive that makes the difference. And if we're given a gift that is an expression of love, you know, that's well and good. It's a genuine act of compassion on our part. And that kind of a gift is a wonderful thing. But if we're giving gifts in order to pervert justice or to excuse sin, then it's absolutely wrong. So, but whether you look at this as a bribe or whether you consider it to be a gift, an act of compassion, you know, basically it, 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 it serves to remind us of the same thing, and that is that motive matters. That's important to God. I'll never forget Billy Graham and his wife. He was telling the story one time about they'd gone to a revival meeting and they were receiving the offering and so... Uh, they passed the plate, and he put in a $20 bill. Now, this was years ago, a $20 bill. That was nearly a week's salary back then. And so he put it all in, and he explained to his wife later, uh, he said, you know, I really, I just intended to put in a dollar, and I, I, I got mixed up and put the 20 in. She said, well, you might as well just give a dollar. You're just going to be rewarded for giving a dollar because that's all you intended to give. Uh, you know, that's a good way to look at it. Our motive matters. We can do the right thing for the wrong reason, and it's not acceptable to the Lord. For example, if I was a really great singer and I got up here, if the only reason I was singing was to impress people, God's not impressed. There's no reward in that for me if I'm doing it to get attention. If I'm doing it to get a pat on the back or whatever, uh, hey, I, I lose my reward. And so we better make sure that our motives are right, whether it has to do with this matter of giving gifts or or anything that we do for the Lord. Now, verse number 15, it is joy to the just to do judgment but destruction shall be to the workers of iniquity. Well, as I've said over and over again, and is obvious throughout the book of Proverbs, there's a contrast between right and wrong and good and bad and the just and the unjust. 
And so here is another verse where these two are set, you know, uh, one against the other. And we have those that, that the just and those, notice, that are described as workers of iniquity. Uh, the point is, what a person takes delight in reveals what kind of a person they are. You, you, I can remember years ago, and I don't remember the details of it, but I preached a sermon that had to do with, with you know, how we recognize a person's real character. And you can tell what a person really is by what they laugh at. You can tell what they are by what angers them, what makes them happy, and so forth. And this is another good example here. Whatever you delight in, that reveals what kind of a person you are. If you're at work and someone tells a vulgar, you know, off-color joke and you're laughing about that and what have you, let me tell you, that tells a whole lot more about you than it does the person that told the joke. Well, the first part of this proverb here tells us, notice that, that the righteous person, that the person that is just, receives pleasure from doing what is right. Now, the world doesn't understand that at all, because, you know, in their mind, it's a whole lot better for, uh, you know, to do something that's wrong, something that, that you think is going to give you pleasure and give you profit, and to them, it's better to do that. And, you know, they grieve at the thought of, let's say, of giving to the poor, whereas the the righteous person takes great delight in being able to give to help meet the needs of, uh, of, of other people. But notice he says, but destruction, destruction shall be to those that are workers of iniquity. So, you, you know, we, this tells us a lot about the world that we live in today because as you know, dishonesty and injustice are common today. We all agree on that, right? But so is misery. And those go together. Uh, whenever you think about people that are living a life and the people that are unjust, people described here, they're workers of iniquity. That's what they're involved in. Their activities revolve around sin. Those kind of people are absolutely miserable. They're never happy. You can't be happy whenever you're living like that. The people that have great joy are those that are living a life of righteousness and reaching out to the needs of others, workers of iniquity. What a, what a horrible description that is of, of a person or a people. And remember the Lord said, Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. To be sure, all of us at some time or another, even though we are saved, we're on our way to heaven and we've been forgiven and we love God with all of our heart, sooner or later we're going to do something that we shouldn't because none of us are perfect. We're not going to be perfect till we get to the Lord. But there's a big difference between sinning occasionally and habitually. You, you see, listen, a Christian can commit any sin that anybody else can commit. You, you could murder somebody. You, I know you think, well, I would never murder anyone. Well, yeah, but uh, you, you're, you can't be too sure of that because you don't know what might happen that would cause you to lose control. 
And so it's, it's possible for a Christian to steal something. But listen, it's not possible for a child of God to habitually live enslaved, you know, by those sins. The Bible makes that perfectly clear. Somebody says, well, in fact, this actually happened years ago. This deacon's brother was the town drunk. Everybody knew it. He had been that way for 25 or 30 years. I mean, he, and yet his brother just swore up and down. I know that he's saved and he, you know, he's just out of the will of God, but I know he's saved. And I said, how do you know? He said, I remember when he walked down the aisle and trusted Christ as his savior. Like walking down the aisle makes you a child of God. You'd be born on a mountain and that wouldn't make you a billy goat, would it? It has nothing to do with it whatsoever. And, and, And the Bible is clear. That's why Paul... Paul said, be not deceived. And then he gives a long list of, of, of different sins. He said, be not deceived. These people shall not inherit the kingdom of God. He's talking about workers of iniquity. These are people that, that habitually sin against God. And notice that destruction shall come upon them as a result of it. Now, verse 16. Verse 16, the man that wandereth out of the way of understanding shall remain in the congregation of the dead. That, that word wandereth there means to vacillate or to waver. It's talking about people that are unstable or as James described it, those that are double-minded. Yeah, you know, boy, that one, one minute they're going to do this and the next minute they're going to do that. They can't make up their mind, you know, whether they want revival or rebellion. And uh, so this is the kind of people they wander away. Notice from the path of understanding. Now, go, let's go back to where we started tonight. Talk about learning as a result of instruction as opposed to learning from punishment. And certainly we'd be better off if we learned from instruction. Well, here he's talking about those that wander away from the path of understanding. And and notice what happens. It says here, they shall remain in the congregation of the dead. And that's another way of saying they end up in the company of those that are destroyed. And that takes us back to the last verse that we talked about here. Destruction shall be to the workers of iniquity. You know, you run, listen, you run with the wrong crowd and you ignore the wise teaching of, 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 of those that know the Lord and you reject God's word. You're going to end up just like them. That's, that's the point of it. Just like them. I, I know uh, so many times, um, the kids have a hard time understanding when mom and dad's trying to really tighten the screws and tighten the reins and hold hold the kids close, you know. And I, you know, I don't want you going anywhere with that kid or this kid or whatever. There's a good reason for that. They they might know a lot of things about that kid that you don't know, and, and they have a good reason for telling you, "I want you to stay away from that crowd." Because make no mistake about it, if you run with the wrong crowd, it won't be long till you'll be acting just like they are. This thing of peer pressure is real, and kids have an extremely difficult time with it. And so, listen, if you don't want to end up like those that are on the losing end, like those that are in prison or whatever, 
then it's a whole lot better off for you to not wander away from the path of understanding. I'm so glad that God has given us His Word to where we can receive understanding. And this is the great thing about the book of Proverbs. It is, you know, the, it, maybe the most practical book in all of the Bible because it just deals with everyday common issues. There are not any real deep theological studies going on here. There's not uh, anything that has to do with prophecy like the book of Revelation. And so, uh, you know, it's just practical stuff. And by the way, these are the areas of life where most of us get in trouble, isn't it? In practical living. And we have this amazing book that God has given to us. And it's just like God is saying, look, you do this, and you'll be blessed. You do that, and you're going to get hurt. And, and let us not wander away from that path of understanding. Now, verse number 17, He that loveth pleasure shall be a poor man. He that loveth wine and oil shall not be rich. Now, th this has to do with those that... Uh, that end up in poverty as a result of seeking pleasure. You know, there's no telling how many people down through the ages that have gone astray been brought to poverty as a result of, uh, of their pursuit of pleasure. And many times I've mentioned, uh, and of course I didn't even know it back then, but Cindy's husband Joe, his daddy was... Um, was uh, help, helping or running uh, the rescue mission that I started preaching in uh, so many years ago. And uh, it was amazing to me because when, whenever I first went there, I thought, you know, this is just a bunch of uh, drunks that come from broken homes and this and that. And all of a sudden I began to realize and get to know some of these people some of them had been professional people. They'd been bankers and doctors and lawyers and successful people. And here they are down on Skid Row. I mean, they've hit rock bottom all because of the pursuit of pleasure. And that pursuit of pleasure caused them to ignore logic. They wandered away from the path of understanding that he talks about there in verse 16. The only thing they're concerned about is pleasure. Remember what Paul said when he was talking about the last days? And he told us in the last days, perilous, that's dangerous and difficult. Perilous times shall come. And then he begins to describe what it's like in the last days. And one of the things that he says is in verse number 4, and he says that there'll be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Isn't that what we see today? Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And we live in a world that has gone crazy over pleasure. And people to do almost anything. They'll do the dumbest things, most dangerous things, most destructive things imaginable if they think they can get some pleasure out of it. If you don't think this is true, all you've got to do is wait till Saturday. or Well, you don't have to wait, actually. Do you have any idea how many people are in attendance at, at college football games? Now, I'm not against football. Don't get me wrong. But those people get excited about that. And then comes Sunday, and you've got all of these hundreds of thousands of people across the nation, and they just can't get enough sports. 
we've got ESP and this and ESP and that, and we've got all of these different networks and all of these programs. We've got magazines, everything under the sun devoted to, to what? Pleasure. That, that, that's what it's all about. And, and by the way, that's just one avenue when we think about pleasure. That, that's sports. So we, you know, we could look at all of the other things that are associated with pleasure. But to think about loving pleasure more than God? Are you kidding me? And yet that is exactly where a lot of people are at. He that loveth pleasure shall be a poor man. Now let me tell you, this thing's a whole lot more important than money. And even, listen, if he loves pleasure, if he has a million dollars, he's a poor man. If he doesn't have the peace that passeth all understanding and joy that's unspeakable and full of glory, if he doesn't have those things that any Christian can have, if he doesn't have that, he's a poor man. But let me tell you, sin will also strip you of all of your goods. It'll make you literally poor. It'll put you in the poorhouse. It will bankrupt you. And he that loveth wine and oil shall not be rich. And so, you know, the the best thing for us to do is to just listen to what the Lord said in Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these what? These things shall be added unto you. The Bible tells us to seek not to be rich. It doesn't say it's a sin to be rich, but it's a sin for us to seek to be rich. That should never be our goal in life. And if God makes you rich, you ought to be smart enough to live a life that's pleasing in His sight, lest you lose what He's given you. Now, verse 18, and we're going to wrap it up with this verse tonight. The wicked shall be a ransom for the righteous and the transgressor for the upright. Now, this is a little bit of a difficult verse if you're not careful. The wicked shall be a ransom for the righteous. That that word ransom speaks about a price that is paid to recover a person or or a thing. In other words, it's something that is substituted for something else. And so uh, this is what he's talking about, the wicked being a ransom for those that are righteous. Sometimes the wicked are punished so as to avert calamity from those that, that, that are righteous. Let, let me explain that because there, there's times that we, we see what happens to a nation or see what happens to a people and wonder why in the world that ever happened. It might be a case like, uh, like Egypt, for example. And Isaiah chapter 43 talks about this in those first four verses and the fact that Egypt suffered as a result, and it uses these words as a ransom for Israel. In other words, the, 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 the nation of Egypt suffered horribly through the plagues and what have you that Israel might be delivered from bondage. There are other instances. He talks about the Ethiopians during the times of Asa. They're in the, that same verse. And, and, uh, and, and, and the point of it is that sometimes judgment comes upon a nation, and, we, and we, we don't have a clue why it happened, but God knows that had He not intervened, it might be that nation would have destroyed this other nation, a righteous nation, or His people. 
Now, the bottom line is that we can take away from this is God's looking out after you. As his people, God is watching over you and concerned about your best interest. This word ransom, as it's used here, has nothing to do with our salvation. You know, we talk about a Christ our Redeemer and the ransom that was paid. Well, that, that has to do with our spiritual salvation. But this has to do with the deliverance of righteous people from those horrible people that would end up hurting you. Um, whenever the prophet, you know, made this statement and quoting the Lord, and he said, Touch not my anointed and do my prophets no harm. I mean, hey, it is a dangerous thing for you and I to plot evil against God's people. And, you know, so many people, I've heard them, you know, use that verse and talk about, say, you better not mess with the preacher because God's liable to kill you or whatever. Well, that, you know, listen, that's true, but the preacher's not the only child of God in the congregation. We better not mess with any of God's children because, listen, if God has to, He'll take somebody out in order to, in order to be a ransom, as it were, and to spare you their wrath and the harm that they would do to you. So I'm glad we can leave here tonight knowing that God has my best interest at heart. He's watching out for me. Well, Lord willing, next week we'll pick up in verse number 19, better to dwell in... Well, we've heard that before, haven't we? Well, we'll talk about it again. And, uh, and because we need to hear it again. Amen. It, Courtney?